G'day, you're on the pod with Mick and Ken from the G'day World Podcast. <laughs> G'day world, this is another on the pod, this is Cam, g'day Mick. G'day Cam. And g'day to our very special guest today, it's Monday the 17th of January 2005 and with us in the G'day World booth, virtual booth. We have Mr. Frank Arrigo from Microsoft. How are you, Frankie? G'day, boys. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Good Mr. to hear from you. Mr. Frank, welcome. Thank you, Mick. Now, we, we should say that the G'day World podcast, in many ways, is Frank's love child. Exactly. <laughs> Frank actually introduced Mick Splat and I, uh, what was it, six or seven months ago, Mick? Yeah, something yeah, like that. Yeah, about five, six months ago, yeah. I think you were coming down to Melbourne on one of your Singleton jaunts. Yeah. Uh, you were down here uh, going to nightclubs, I believe, on behalf <laughs> of Singletons. And uh, Frank told you to look me Frankie up. Frankie sent that email that said, Mick, Cam, Cam, Mick, you guys should talk. <laughs> A classic Frank So it's all email. your fault, Frank. Yeah, look, I accept responsibility for it, you know, but it's one of many. What can I say? <laughs> And I think we've been trying to get you on the show since day one, so you've, this has been a couple of months You've probably been one of our most requested interviewees by the Australian really? developer community. Everyone well, keeps going, know. when are you going to get Frankie on? You've got to get Frankie on. <laughs> it, it, it's nice to be loved. That's all I can say, you know. And, and you are like the, the cornerstone of .NET blogging in this country. I think that's a fair thing to say, right? Uh, look, I, I'd say so. I kind of took a lead on it tried to rally the troops, and you know, one of the things I did a year ago is uh, asked you know, local bloggers to tell us who they are, and I kind of built this little OPML up, this little you know, list, and uh, I'm sort of the keeper of that list now. There's 65 names on that list, some doubled up, but, but yeah, it's, sort of, uh, it's the list, and I'm kind of the, the, the ringleader, I guess, of everyone out there. Okay, so, so for those few people out there who don't know who Frank is, you want to tell us a bit about what you do, Frankie? Absolutely. So I'm I'm at Microsoft. I've been at Microsoft 13 and a half years. I'll tell you a bit about the history later. But right now, I I'm part of what we call the Developer Platform Evangelism Team. I am one of the managers within that group. I'm I guess I'm the Uber Evangelist. Uh, I look after about 10 guys across Australia, and New Zealand, and really our mission is to work with the developer community. And we work within different parts of it. So we work with developers within our software development companies. We work with students at university. We, and, you know, we sort of go out there and spread the news and spread the word of you know, how to use Microsoft development tools in their, world, in, in, in their environment. And one of the things that's been added to my plate this year is we've taken on the IT professional space as well. So it's not just developers that we're talking to, but we're, just, you know, we're talking to all, you know, all of the technical community out there around Microsoft technologies. That's what I do. And so tell us about your background with Microsoft. 13 and a half years, what a was your first time. job at Microsoft, Frank? Okay, my first job, well, I joined Microsoft May 91 in Canberra. Um, I followed my to-be wife to Canberra and uh, we got married and I joined Microsoft as what was called a systems engineer. It's now known as a technical uh, technical specialist, the title. So basically it was technical pre-sales. Uh, hung around Canberra for just on two years working with uh, 
a lot of the government departments there around adoption of Microsoft technologies, whether it be, you know, at the, at the time, you know, if you think about what the technologies were, it was Landman. We didn't have Exchange. It was Microsoft Mail 3.0. It was, you know, a lot, a lot of those kind of new things. It was Windows 3.x. You know, I remember, I, I remember doing a secret briefing session for some some of our customers for this new product called NT. You know, and it was a behind closed door demo back in 1994 where we had this one machine that was being flown around the world and you know we were showing a lot of our corporate customers how to, how windows was now bulletproof and i'll never forget the demo it was you, you've probably seen this demo cam it's this ticking time bomb so they run this app you know it was called bad app win bad app and it would cause a general fault and normally on a windows 3.1 machine it would crash it you know you get a blue screen so the little bomb would go and a little fuse would go pssst, and the ticking clock in the background and it would go bang and on a Win 3.1 machine it would go blue screen but on this NT machine it wouldn't and we go wow look Windows is ready for the data center <laughs> oh, i got to laugh it's so funny <laughs> but it was funny so that, that was you know the first two years we, we sort of uh, were, were pushing a lot of the Microsoft stuff and it was hard I tell you in Canberra you know we went the leaders in 91 it was, it was Novell everywhere it was WordPerfect it was Lotus Notes, you know, they were the products that, you know, they were on, sitting on people's desktops. Folks were rolling out PCs, you know. OS2 was still, you know, in, in, had a presence in a lot of these departments. I was, like, you know, I spent six months at ATO in 92, I think it was, and it was all about putting OS2 on the desktop for, uh, for a lot of the ATO guys, and then we started looking at moving them to Windows and viscous workstations. Anyway, it's kind of like science fiction thinking about some of those early days now. But that was Canberra, so I did that for a couple of years. And uh, then I got a chance to go to the US. And I, I went over, I guess it was September 93, um, and uh, I, joined, I went over to a place called Executive Briefing Centre, which is a spot that we have on campus where you know, folks bring customers into the, from the field to meet with Microsoft execs and, and hear the pitch from the horse's mouth. Now, I'm sure you did some of those trips on your time, Cam. Yeah, a lot of fun. ABC. And uh, local Melbourne boy Dominic Tromboli's just gone over to work in the Executive Briefing Centre, I believe. Well, see, there you go. I started a tradition. There's been many people who have followed <laughs> to the EBC. So I spent a year or so at the EBC. I guess one of my, my claim to fames was I built the wall of scalability. <laughs> I'm very proud of the wall of scalability. Again, you know, this was in those early 90s when we were talking about, you know, Windows and the scalability of it. We, we used to have this slide that was like this, you know, 45-degree angle that had, you know, desktops and laptops and even, you know, PDAs, you know, we didn't have PDAs at the time, scaling up to multiprocessor boxes. And so we kind of replicated that in this facility where we had, you know, low-end machines all the way up to... I think it was a 32 processor, oh no, an 8 processor sequent box, a wind server it was. That was the state of the art box with this weird curve on the front of it. So we built that out. And again, it was all about showing the, the range of, of, of the platform, the capabilities of, of the platform, and uh, you know, give warm and fuzzies to the folks that came along. So that was the EBC. I did that for a while. And then I got lured away to a. Um, well, actually, while I was at the EBC, I was introduced to a couple of things. One of the things that I was introduced to was I was running a web server from Edinburgh University. It was called the MWAC web server, and this was on Windows 3.1. And I was using that to like keep track of documents and management. Everyone thought I was wacky, you know, sort of wacky doing this stuff. 
But anyway, I think it was like the third or fourth web server running internally in at Microsoft at the time. So this was, I guess, the summer or winter of 94, I guess is the simplest way of putting it. So that was kind of when, when I, I started playing around with some of these things. And, and to get online, we used to use Trumpet Windsoft. Yes. Remember that? Yes. <laughs> little baby. Yeah. Developed from, from by the guy down in Tassie. Tasmania, I can't remember that's right. I can't remember what his name was. It wasn't Phil Trumpet, but it was something Phil something or other. And so we used Trumpet Windsock. And I met these, you know, these company, these guys from a company in Seattle. I can't remember their name right now, but they had this product called Internet in a Box, where they had all these utilities, and they just, they were so excited. They just hired this guy from Mosaic, and they were doing their own little browser, and it was kind of wacky, you know, around those times because it was hard to get online. You know, it was just really hard to get online, and and you know, this Internet in a Box was made up of like. 50 little, you know, utilities from FTP and, you know, web server demons. It was, it was incredible. Spry was the company that was that, yep. that had that. Spry Internet, if you remember those guys. Anyway, uh, I, I digress. So sort of just a bit after that, I moved from the executive briefing center. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, the EBCs, you know, I engage with a lot of Microsoft execs, you know, guys like Gates and Barmer. And, and I ended up, you know, doing a lot of briefings for these guys. <laughs> Do, I did their presentations. I'd get to them. I'd say, okay, you're going to be talking to this so-and-so customer. This is what they want to hear. These are the slides that you're going to present. And then I, they'd walk in their room and they'd do their little show and they'd walk away. And everyone would go, wow, that was fantastic. And it was me prepping them. It was, it was crazy. It so was it wasn't crazy. Bill. It was all you. So I, don't know if, I don't know if it was always me, but you know, the ones that I was involved in, it was just wild. And I remember one time I was preparing Bill for an executive event, and he grilled me about the actual event. It was the Canadian subsidiary, and they had, I don't know, five or six VPs involved. And Bill was saying, why have they got so many VPs? I go, I don't know, I guess, you know, they're important. Their customers said, we'll never do this again. And they never did it again. It was the last time they ever did it. And it was, I was part of history. Um, anyway, so, so that was the EBC. Well, I've got plenty of EBC stories, but we'll, I won't bore you with them. Well, tell us I've about... Then moved, hold on, sorry. before you move on, tell us about Gates and Barmer in those days. Oh, look, Gates and Barmer those days were the same as they were today in lots of ways, you know. Barmer was all fire and brimstone. He was, he would yell and scream and Developers, rant developers, and developers, developers. Yeah, look, absolutely. Yeah, a, a, a classic story because, again, when I'd be briefing a lot of these guys, I, I went to see Steve in his office and there was this hole in his, in his room, in his office. And I said, <laughs> what happened? And he said, well, there was this guy. And I didn't like what he was saying. He'd literally thrown a table or something. I don't know what he'd thrown at this guy. And you could see the hole in his office where he threw the table at him. <laughs> so it was, it was pretty, pretty full on. The other, I guess, uh, thing that I, the privilege I had was, because I was at the EBC, I had to monitor the rooms. So in my office, I had this little TV camera, screen, I should say, and so I could literally check in on any of the rooms and hear what was being said mainly to make sure if there was any problems, so I'd run in and you know, we'd fix any of the technology. But a lot of times we'd have internal meetings, and I, I remember there, there were a couple of meetings I'll never forget. The one that really sticks in my mind was when we had, we had Gates and Balmer and a guy by the name of Brad Silverberg and a bunch of other guys from the Windows team. I think Jim Olcher may have been there as well, David Cole. And they were talking about what to call the product that, eventually, that was codenamed Chicago that eventually became Windows 95. And, you know, they were going, well, we're going to call it Windows 4. No, no, we can't call it this. We're going to call it this. And then someone, I can't remember who it was, said, well, we're going to give it names of the year, like cars. Because people <laughs> know 
when they need to buy a new car because they see the next year's Chevy and they go, we've got to upgrade. The version numbers mean nothing. And they go, yeah, it's a good idea. And that's where, you know, the Windows 95 decision came out of was that kind of conversation was being had. It was pretty funny, actually, because internally it was Chicago, Chicago, Chicago. That was a code name, and everyone talked about Windows 95, about that product as Chicago. But once they decided it's got to be like the car model, it was Windows 95, and that was it. And we kind of stuck to that model until uh, the old XP came along. <laughs> Fuck knows where that came, that idea came from. But anyway, that's another <laughs> another question to be asked. But uh, really, you know, dealing with Gates, I, I, again, I remember sitting in with him. You know, he'd, I'd be talking to him, and the next thing I know, he's rocking. You know, and he's kind of going, he's kind of like zoning out, thinking of that guy. And I don't know what he was thinking about, and that's you know, but you know, he'd be listening to what I was saying and. It was funny because, again, I, I took in a slide deck and he looked at the guy, yeah, yeah, this is the same stuff I've been doing for the last six months, no worries, let's talk about who the customers are. You know, what I found out after doing that is, you know, Steve, Bill's got his, his spiel, his, you know, the spiel that he has every couple of months that he sticks to and that's his talking points and then, you know, his 40-odd slides that he's got, that's what he works with and depending on the audience, that might become 20 or it might become 10 or it might be say 40. But that's, that, stays, that stays his deck. And uh, it's interesting because Bill Gates came out and visited us in, Jan in June. And I thought, you know, this, had, this model had kind of changed. Uh-uh, it hasn't changed. It's exactly the same. You know, I was preparing the slides for his presentation again for the session he did last year, this breakfast. And it was exactly the same. You know, I got a slide deck from one of his people. This is what Bill talks to. Nothing vary, you know, you don't vary anything. You can chop and change the slides, but that's the content he sticks to, and that's it. You know, he's got his little rehearsed spiel, and that's what he does. I guess it's the way to be efficient, hey? Hmm. And have you, do you sense that Bill's changed over the years? Uh, yeah, I think Bill's changed. I think Bill's changed in that, you know, he was doing it, he was getting involved in a lot of the day-to-day -day stuff. Definitely when I was there, you know, he was involved in a lot of the day-to-day -day decisions. I don't think he is anymore. Mm. I think Steve's really taken that on. And I think Steve's changed a big deal. You know, Steve, Steve lost, you know, I think he had a health scare a few years back and uh, lost a lot of weight and uh, really toned down, you know. He used to, his scream, he still rants and raves and screams, but uh, he definitely has toned down. He liked damaged his, his vocal cords once, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, he did. He, at one of the Microsoft, you know, all-together meetings, you know, he was there screaming so much that he, he, he literally, you know, screamed his voice off, you know, and couldn't talk anymore. It's pretty funny. And I saw the footage of Bill from his CES keynote. Looks like he's got uh, Steve's dietitian. Ah, yeah, he, yeah, he was looking pretty lean. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's lost a lot of weight. Yeah. Speaking of health crises, how are you feeling, Frank? I know that anyone who's in Australia listening to this is going to know from your blog that you had a recent trip to hospital. How's it all going? Oh, yeah, look, I'm, I'm good now. I'm good now. I'm on antibiotics at the moment. Look, I've, I spent a week in hospital. This time last week I was in hospital. Um, I, I've, I've had a couple of problems with my health, and uh, a lot of it is to do with, you know, not exercising, not really eating well, kind of, you know, the typical lifestyle of a geek. Isn't Xbox so exercise? Yeah, finger exercise. But it, you need to hook it up to the treadmill, mate, to do it properly. So it's and it's. I think it's you know twenty years of you know living that life has uh, has caught up with me. But you know where I'm at right now. I've been. I came home early late late last week. I should say I've been resting. I'm literally set up in my room, my bedroom. I'm on a couch. My Wi-Fi is humming beautifully downstairs. 
and uh, I really haven't moved from this spot for the last couple of days. It's been fantastic, actually. <laughs> it's allowed me to catch up on podcasts and my blogs and anything but work, you know, ABW. But uh, it's allowed me to really, you know, watch the cricket. I've watched some movies. I've bit torrented down a bunch of movies and shows. Yeah, it's been good fun. But in terms of health, uh, you know, I've lost some, a lot of weight, which is good for me. You know, I've lost maybe 12 kilos in the last couple of months, which has been, it's all good. Um, got to lose a bit more as well, and yeah, so you know, I, it's realization that I've got to do something about it, and, and uh, I just I need to move on. You know, I won't go into the gory details. I I've done that on my personal blog, but I learned a new word as a result. Colorectal was one of the words. I didn't even know that word existed, but, but now I know that I have a colorectal specialist. And enough, we'll leave it at that. (laughs) There's a word you really don't want to get very often. You don't don't want to know that word too well. And not only that, they have a society. There's the Colorectal Society of Australia. Fantastic. I know, I know. Just too much information, isn't it? Okay, so uh, now tell us about how you started blogging, Frank, because you've been blogging for quite a while. And you've got a lot of blogs. Yeah, I have a lot of blogs. Okay, <laughs> look, for me, blogging is, has been an extension of just being online, right? And I guess I've, I've had an online presence, you know, since 96, 95, 96. Um, I, I sort of entered officially the world of blogs in 03, I guess. I bought myself a copy of Radio Userland. Um, that was the first product that I used. I used my own money for that. And, uh, and that's basically been the start of my personal homepage. And, you know, I kind of just started really as a way of uh, keeping my family up to date. I'm originally a Melbourne boy. I grew up in Melbourne. And all my family's down there. My, my crazy sister, Rita Arrigo, is down there and uh, my dad and cousins and all that kind of stuff. So I used the blog as a way of, you know, sharing stories of the family, showing how the kids are going, that kind of stuff. And, you know, it's putting forward, a, you know, some ideas. And the other areas, my other passion is footy. I'm a, I'm a, as a Victorian, I'm yeah, a science. crazy... AFL fan, a crazy Saints fan, and um, so I just use that to document, you know, the, the progress of my boys. And it's, you know, last year was a great year. So, so that's kind of, you know, for me, blogging has just been online, my online journal, just online presence. And then you know, I was doing that, and I saw that the, you know, Microsoft had a, you know, a sponsored area to go, which used to be on Got.net. So I, I moved on to that site, and I tried to separate work and family. And then we moved on to blogs.msdn.com. But the reason I got lots of little blogs is because whenever I find a new service, I just try it out. You know, I keep it going. And, and you know, so I've got a couple of photo blogs up and a big couple of pond, things. blog spot spaces, yeah, Optus, yeah, yeah, yeah. Weblogs, Win ISP, yeah, yeah, the Mob yeah, yeah. Log. All of, all of that, all of that. Lots of them, right? So, my, you know, I, I, I'm an online guy. You know, if I could have that implant that, that Cam's been talking about, it, I'd, I'd be the. Second one in the queue behind Cameron, you know, because that's just for me is, you know, I, I live my life online. I just can't imagine any other way, you know. Example of that, last night, sitting down with my wife, we're watching a fantastic show on the ABC called Carla. I hope you guys have been following that. Fantastic program. And, you know, we've got to, we've got to find out more about it. So I'm on there on the HBO site digging up the info. You know, just, that's just the beauty of the online world, you know, and sharing that stuff and getting that stuff soon. What's TV? Yeah, I know. I'm oh, starting to feel that way as well. That's what you used to do before BitTorrent. I remember yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, look, every now I, I still do a bit of TV, you know. It's hard to BitTorrent live game, live sports games, you know, but well, technology will appear for that. But I tell you, I love my BitTorrent. I've got, again, we've watched all the 
Desperate Housewives. I'm addicted to that show. It's fantastic. <laughs> Arrested Development Series 2 is fantastic. Can't wait to get the next episode. It comes up online in the next couple of days. It's just on-demand entertainment. Again, that's that's where I think it's at. And you know, Podcasting is an example of that. And if, if, we, if I sort of go back in my timeline of what I was doing in my career, you know, after I left the EBC, I, I went and joined a team at Microsoft that was the interactive TV team. You know, we were the Advanced Broadband Networks organization, and this was back in 95. And it was all about on-demand TV. You know, we were building the platform for on-demand TV. We got a lot of things wrong. Um, you know, we thought it was all about movies, but no, it was about time-shifted television, but that's what we were building. We were building that platform. And I was involved in a number of the trials and working with the telcos, the operators, um, the cable companies, you know, getting adoption of this platform, you know. So, so that was back in 95, and, you know, that, that's when the whole world was interactive TV crazy. You know, we had these trials in, in um, Florida where with, with uh, Silicon Graphics, we had some other trials somewhere else, and, you know, we would, Microsoft was just part of it, you know, and wanting to, to deliver it. But that was all about delivering entertainment on these really expensive new ATM-based networks. And, and all of a sudden, this little thing called the Internet kind of caught up, you know, snuck up and bit everyone on the bum, you know. And, and, you know, at the time, the infrastructure wasn't in place, but the infrastructure is there now to, to really deliver that on-demand entertainment that we're talking about. And so where do you go to get your BitTorrent feeds from? Where do I go? Oh, it's a couple of places. I, you know, I'm a TV addict, so tvswarm.net and uh, tvtorrents.tv are the two most common places I go to. Damn. One what? note's just frozen up on me. <laughs> Can you do something about that, Frank? <laughs> yeah, I'll ring Chris Prattley. <laughs> okay, so, so... You finished up with the, um, with the media team and then you... Came back to Australia and yeah, started well, up with yeah. um, MSN. Well, let, let, let me tell you the, the piece of it. So, yeah, we were doing the interactive media stuff, and it, it got hard on my wife. It got really difficult on my wife in that she was at home in the U.S. on her own with two kids. I was, you know, jaunting around. I was in da Dallas, oh, in Denver or in San Francisco or whatever, and it just got really difficult on it. So we ended up coming back to Australia. So we headed back November 95 when we came back, and uh, I got a job in the new MSN Australia team. Now, MSN was launched in Australia as a joint venture with Telstra. It was called On Australia. Remember oh, that? That's right. And, uh, Christ, I oh, know. And uh, it, it launched with great fanfare, apparently. I wasn't here, so I missed it all, when Windows 95 launched. So this joint JV, um, everyone realised it was a bad idea. And so they said, well, we're going to split it. Now, Telstra, you can do your network. That became Big Pond Internet. Microsoft, you can do the content. That was the team that I then came down and headed up. But the other thing that MSN was doing was, at the time, MSN 1.0 was all based on these proprietary protocols and this closed network across Next25. It was just a nightmare. It all kind of worked, but it just wasn't what the web's about. Um, so I came back to Australia to sort of lead the development team to redo all the MSN stuff as web stuff, move to HTML. And the biggest thing we had to do is retrain all these content companies that they had recruited from using these proprietary tools to using HTML. Well, we're now in 95, 96. No one knew what HTML was. 
the only tool we had was notepad and hot dog. Hot dog. You know, there, was, there weren't many tools around, right? There was this company called Vermeer. They had this thing called Front Page. It's kind of cool. But, you know, it wasn't – the tools just weren't there to build it. But that, the tools weren't the challenge. The challenge was getting the stuff hosted. It's, you know, 95, 96, tell me where you can host IIS in the, at, at that time. No one could do it. Not even Aussie Mail was doing it, right, you know? So we I had, know, because we... I, I built Aussie Mail's first NT hosting environment in 97, I think it was. There we go. Thank you very much. After we needed it. <laughs> so we had, pro- we had problems, right? We had a lot of the challenges of our problems. The other thing was we wanted to build interactive sites, you know, and, and back in 96, there weren't much, you know, what did you have? You had CGI scripts, you know, you had Perl maybe. And so the MSN team came up with this language called Piglet. Don't ask me where they came up with Piglet. But Piglet had an extension of ASP. Guess what? That was the start of the, the old scripting pages, right? So ASP kind of came up. You know, we started building pages around that. That was kind of cool. But then MSN went through this uh, interesting time. We hired a, a guy from film and entertainment. His name was Justin Milne. Name ring a bell. <laughs> so this is the 97. Justin Milne comes on board. 96, I should say, comes on board. He runs MSN Australia. And it's all about entertainment, baby. So we're building shows. We're not building websites. We're building shows. We're building... We have all of these different shows and different genres and different themes. And we're outsourcing to a lot of these companies to build this for us. And we, say, we, need to, we, we find this product called Seller Animator from this small group mob down in, I don't even know where they were. They then renamed it Future Splash. Now, and it was this vector graphics-based, you know, authoring thing. It was cool, and we could build these, you know, really interesting animated la-di-da things that worked pretty good on dial-up, and it was magical, you know. So we're building this content. We've got these guys doing it. Oh, I can't remember. We built so much stuff, so much content. We had, when we launched a new MSN 2.0 in 97, we had like 10 channels of, pro, uh, five channels, all with two or three different, you know, shot programs underneath it. You know, we moved to the pro TV model, and it just, man, we, there was no way to sustain it. You know, the, the, where was the business model? The business model, we were charging, you know, subscription, and people weren't paying for this stuff. They were just didn't see the, you know, we, there were no brands. They didn't recognize the content. You know, we were inventing the stuff, you know, this kind of, the stuff was pretty cool, but there was just no recognition to people. It was it was a it was an interesting time. <laughs> Let me tell you, I don't know if you ever were a MSN MSN two O subscriber, but we had this you know this stage it was called on stage and it was, oh, it was oh god anyway. <laughs> I mean it was this. an early it was an early time and it was still quite early on on the web too and you know everything was yeah, look, people still expected everything to be free and no one wanted to pay for these closed networks. Oh, absolutely. But you know it was web based stuff, but it was it was kind of closed, but kind of weird. But the thing was. It was about the content. Mm. You know, everyone thought, oh, what we need is we need brands, right? We need something that people recognize. So all of a sudden, you know, management within the team went, okay, we need to partner with a media company because people get brands, you know? So they started knocking on the door at Seven. They started meeting with Stokes. They knocked on the door at PBL and they started meeting with the Packers. They knocked on the door at the ABC and they said, fuck off, you know, we, <laughs> we, we don't want to charge for content, you know? But, you know, so these discussions started happening late 96, early 97, you know, and the next thing we know, there's a joint venture in the wind, and we partner with PBL. 
And the Telstra relationship had been severed by this stage? Oh, yeah, the Telstra relationship. Telstra had been... That's, that was severed back in 95. One Australia we wasn't, yeah, wasn't around that long. <laughs> yeah, honestly. Uh, and, of course, Telstra. in classic Microsoft style, as I recall the story, um, Telstra found out that the relationship had been severed when they read it in the paper. Uh, you, I don't know. <laughs> like maybe. No. And look, I think at, at the higher I think, levels... I think that's the way Telstra told the story to look, me. At, anyway, at the higher it. levels, I reckon they knew that the deal was done, but they hadn't communicated it down the line. I suspect is what the reality of how it happened. But the Telstra relationship was severed a lot, longer, a lot earlier when on Australia was disbanded and it was divorced. And, you know, there was a separation. We were buying access from Telstra. You know, there was a, there, that business relationship was maintained and didn't, didn't really go away. You know, we were using the Big Pond network for access, you know, that kind of stuff. So, But, you know, there, look, there's probably there's a book in there somewhere, I think. And I've got a lot of notes, so anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll revisit that at a later date. So it's now 97, okay? We decided well, Microsoft has entered into a relationship with PBL. They've created a joint venture called 9MSN. Now, interestingly enough, PBL was having the same conversation in that they were saying, oh, my God, we're old media. We're going to be overtaken by new media. We need a technology partner. And they were, while we were having conversations with media companies, they were having parallel conversations with AOL as well as Microsoft as, in terms of who they should partner with. Nine AOL. Yeah, yeah well, it could have been, right? In the end, it, was, it became seven AOL, and we know how good that went, yeah. right? <clears throat> but that's another story, yet another book. Now, the interesting thing is the guy that was leading the PBL discussions was a gentleman by the name of Daniel Petrie. Ex-Microsoft. Ex-Microsoft guy, ex-Microsoft. Microsoft VP, ex, mm. you know, lot of lot of friend of Bill, lot ex, lot of FOB. Uh, Daniel retired from Microsoft and you know, to become a full time dad and write some books and look after his kids and you know, live the life that we all dream of. And um, through a, a kind of a network, I think he knew someone at New Jody Rich or something like that. He got coaxed out of retirement to work, you know, two days a week as an advisor to James Packer. Very interesting. Mainly, he'd written this book about you know, the Australian knowledge network or something, a clever country. I don't know, I can't remember the book. I've got it somewhere in my library. So he wrote this book basically about new media and old media and how everyone needs to get together. And it was interesting because a lot of that stuff was stuff that we'd talked about over conversations we had over coffee. But that's another story. I'm not bitter. I don't need any royalties. That's okay. Um, <laughs> so, so he wrote this book, started working for Packers helped them drive these discussions. So, you know, long story short, 9MSM was born. Now, I remember the, the exact date. It was like May 97. The reason I remember that was my daughter, Emma, was born, and I was on paternity leave when it all happened. So I, I remember I left the office and we were in North Ride, and then my next day back at work, we were somewhere in East Sydney. <laughs> in between, you know, the joint venture had come back, everyone moved. To these officers, Justin Milne had been fired or told not to come back to work the next day or something. And anyway, the new venture was formed, and then we slowly made tracks and moved into our Paddington digs, which, sort of late '97. Which was owned by John Singleton, actually. Yes, I know. <laughs> it used to be an old brothel, I believe, many years ago, and it still is. To this it was day. probably owned by John Singleton Again, when it was a brothel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, so, yeah, so, so, uh, I've got the lawyer on the phone, Mick. He says you can't actually <laughs> say that. Uh, that's slander, and we'll have to edit that, Peter. 
Yeah, so I keep going, Frankie. It, it. So anyway, so so we moved into Paddo. So it's not MSN. It's you know, it's not. It's it's the dot com time. We're building. We got to launch this new site in a couple of weeks, and this homepage, and all these new things. And we we inherited this this product called Sidewalk, which was you know the city living guide that had been working parallel. That became part of the online venture. We inherited Expedia. You know, so basically, 9MSN was meant to be the vehicle to deliver all of Microsoft's online properties. So it became MSN in all intents and purposes, but with brands. That was the big thing. It was now we had brands. So rather than building generic travel site, you know, we'd do the getaway travel site. People know getaway is, there's Katrina Roundtree, they recognise those breasts, life is good, right? But, you know, that, that was the theory, right? You know, brands will drive loyalty, drive people, yada, yada, yada. Okay? So that, that's what, so we worked like crazy. The, my role was I was the CTO, whatever the hell that means. Um, I basically ran the technology team, the operations team, the infrastructure team, and, you know, it was my responsibility to get the hosting infrastructure right for this get all of the back-end systems right and just make this go live. You know, that, that's what we needed to do. It was crazy times. Um, hosting was a challenge. Um, at the time, we spent a lot of time trying to find people who could host what we needed. And I, eventually, we worked with this small mob out of Adelaide that has become Hostworks. And they were the, really the only guys willing to do what we needed to be done <laughs> to uh, provide the hosting. And we had conversations with Aussie Mail, and you know, the company then became Web Central, a bunch of other folks. And you know, what we needed to do, no one, they'd look at us and they thought we were mad. And we were. <laughs> but uh, but this, these guys in Adelaide were able to uh, accommodate our requirements. And I'll never forget, everyone would say, why, why the hell have you gone to work with a company in Adelaide? You know, like, I remember having this conversation with James Packer. So why have you picked Adelaide? Fucking Adelaide, there's like nothing there. I go, well, and I use the analogy, you know, the highway between Melbourne and Sydney is really busy and there's a lot of traffic and, you know, bandwidth is bad. If you go to Adelaide, you know, Telstra has to upgrade capacity in terms of things and hardly anyone else is on the traffic. So it's like a two-lane highway with hardly any people there. And, and, and James kind of got that. And then I said, plus, it's 40% cheaper in terms of salary and people, and they totally got that. <laughs> Ka-ching. <laughs> and, and didn't EDS have an involvement in that as well? Yeah, yeah, EDS had an involvement. I think lawyers are still involved. But uh, EDS, <laughs> because this little company was uh, pretty little, Microsoft really didn't have a level of trust. And so EDS kind of came behind and said, yeah, we'll make it an EDS thing and, and do it. But at the end of the day, it was the heart of the company was uh, Hostworks and EDS. They really couldn't fulfill what was needed. I don't want to go into too much detail on EDS stuff. It's a very ugly lot of lawsuits. I think there's someone with my name on a bulletin board they want to kill. You know, <laughs> kind of ugly. Cost people's jobs seriously. <laughs> it was. It's kind of not. It wasn't a happy ending for a lot of folks in EDS in Adelaide. So. Oh dear. But anyway, that's another story. So another it's story. it's like uh, this is still sort of '97-ish, right? Yeah, 97, 98, we're sort of going through the whole MSN bubble. And it was, it was awesome. On one hand, it was fantastic, you know. It was like everyone wanted to talk to us. They wanted to be part of it. You know, we kind of had a couple of wacky ideas. We kind of said, you know, when everyone leaves Hotmail, let's redirect to the homepage. And, oh, my God, that gave us a huge amount of traffic. We did the default homepage for IE, sort of result to, you know, your, your locale. And that kind of gave <clears throat> the MSN properties around the world fantastic reach, and you know, it kind of gave the 90% guys a free ride, right? You know, at one point, 
80, or I shouldn't say this, but let's put <laughs> it down a little bit. 60% of all the traffic to 90% in the early days was coming from, you know, the Microsoft properties. So guess what? It wasn't the brands. The brands weren't really doing anything. Mm. You know, it wasn't driving people to the sites. But, but it was kind of cool when we started driving URLs on TV and, you know, I'll never forget when Brian Naylor, God rest his soul, not he's dead, but when Brian Naylor <laughs> you know, announced the launch of 9MSN and he read a URL on the news, that was bloody amazing. It was a big moment. Mm. It was a big moment. You know? <clears throat> I can actually remember the day I first saw a URL on an ad. I was driving uh, across the Yarra, I was driving into the city, coming into Flinders Street, and there was a, like a poster on a pillar holding up a bridge, which I don't think is there anymore. And it had a URL. I remember saying to Belinda, holy shit, look at that. There's a, I, I realised at that stage it was time to get out. This internet thing was all over, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. The, the horses bolted. But no, it was big. It was big news. And you know, we did some pretty amazing things, I must admit. I'll, I'll never forget, you know, we did this live webcast on Good Medicine. It was a live, live vasectomy webcast. I remember that, yeah. You remember big, that? It was yeah. like the largest webcast in Australia's history. I don't think it's been topped, actually. In terms there was of, 15 people watching? Yeah, 15 or 16, something like that. It was huge. <laughs> it was huge, you know. And, you know, so we, we pushed the envelope on a number of fronts, you know. And uh, look, I'm, there's a lot of work that went into there. I feel very proud of the stuff I did and my team did. There's a lot of, you know, at the end of the day, though, look, I lasted two years at 9MSN. The, the deal was... I went over to the joint venture as a Microsoft employee, so I was actually a Microsoft employee in the venture. But my contract read such that after two years, I had to, A, leave Microsoft and join 9MSN. Not a very desirable situation for Frank Arrigo. B, leave Microsoft and 9MSN and you know, join the queue, in the doll queue, you know, find another job. Or C, magically find a job at Microsoft. I didn't have a guaranteed job back. So, you know, I basically worked on Plan C. <laughs> and uh, after two years, it, you know, at the end of the day, it was, a it was a difference in values and difference in culture. You know, my, the values that I kind of had was about the platform, you know, and building industry. You know, I was looking at seeing 9MSN as being the monolith, but also helping an industry grow around it, you know, helping you know, the hosting companies and the web development companies and the ad agencies and... And help everyone grows together and the pie gets bigger and everyone's happy, you know. That that was kind of the approach I wanted to take and I was trying to take in, in my engagements. But really the, the PBL side of the business is, you know, we win, you lose really bad. And they're really, you know, their approach to business was there is no industry. We are the industry. We screw everybody. And it was interesting that the deals that they did were always around that. You know, it was about PBL getting the best part of the event, of the of everything and, and not really leaving anything else for the others around it. And now, was Mr. Vamos at 9MSN at this point? Uh, Mick, Mr. Vamos was 9MSN. He, had, he was the first CEO at 9MSN. That's right. So I worked for Mr. Vamos for almost two years. And then another two years since he moved and to Microsoft. And now I've been working with Mr. Vamos with one, la one layer in between at Microsoft. But, mm. yeah, thanks, thanks for going down that path. <laughs> we'll just leave that for another show. <laughs> we'll, we'll leave that for another show. I'm sure Mr. Vamos is listening to this podcast. Yeah, 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 I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure he does. Actually, yeah. on, on that, at, just before, at the Christmas party, <laughs> the family, you know, I saw Steve and I introduced him to my kids and said, how are you doing, all that stuff, and we're chatting. And he said, I finally looked at your blog. And, and I thought, that's cool. Good on you, Steve. Thanks for that. And I said, you should start one your own. 
And he said, why should I do that? I said, well, Steve, you got, you say, you know, the stuff you say, it'd be good for everyone to hear it. And he said, no one wants to hear what I say. Mark Bartsy's big and dream, hey? Steve with a blog. Steve with his blog. I would love him to start a blog. Yeah, me too. I've, yeah. <clears throat> but that's another story. Yeah. yeah. So, so 9 is saying, I loved it. There, there were a couple of things that got me down, all right? The, the biggest thing is I live, you know, on the North Shore. 9 is in Paddington. The commute killed me. Some days it would take me two hours to get to work. Wow. Isn't that crazy? That's like crazy. That. It's crazy. Like it was just a, no- it was a nightmare on that side of things. But How long does it take you to get to work now, Mick? Uh, about two minutes. <laughs> Love it. The amount of time it takes you to climb out of the bathtub and uh, walk upstairs. Yeah, down one set of stairs, up the other set of stairs, and I'm in, you know, done. Of course, we're not getting paid. There's that downside. Yeah, well, picky. <laughs> Can't have everything. Yeah, that's a, I tell you, that's a small price to pay. <laughs> that's right, for convenience. <laughs> and, of course, you know, I think I can say this with uh, a sense of absoluteness about it, that you are the most loved manager at Microsoft in Australia, if not globally. Oh, you're so sweet. I, you know, any of Frankie's guys would take a bullet for him. I'm sure I can speak on their behalf. Well, thank you for that. And, look, and... and yeah, you know, I think I think of my team as my family. You know, I treat them as my kids. I'm a dad. You know, I've got four kids, and and I you know my, I treat my team the same way. And I want to see the best of them. You know, and and that's really been the evolution of Frank. You know, in the last year or so, I've really focused on that part of the business rather than being the guy that does everything. And it's good. You know, I'm I'm, I'm glad the guys want to take a bullet. That's how I felt for managers that I worked for in the past. And. You know, the guys that I've really respected, you know, like I said, I, I would have taken a bullet for them. And the fact that these guys feel the same way about me, that, that makes me feel really good. I'm happy mm. about that. So what's the one thing you don't like the most about working for Microsoft, Frank? What's the one thing? Um, in the past, I would say the travel. I found the travel really got to me and sort of the nature of the job that I work for. Sort of, you know, I, I spent, you know, it, it's part of my little history that I went through. When I, I spent two years doing uh, a Southeast Asia role, and uh, I was in Singapore and Hong Kong and Korea nearly every other week for almost two years. And that just got to me. That was really, that just got very difficult in terms of health, family, you know, everything else that goes with that. You know, that's easily fixed, and... Uh, yeah, but I, that was the the, the, first, the number one. The second piece is really, and it's I think it's part of the culture of the company. It's that the strong, amazing reliance on email. <laughs> <laughs> as much as I love it, it's also crazy. I, I have situations where people literally in the office next door to me email me rather than like get up off their ass and walk in and talk to me. <laughs> And what if you had a dream for Microsoft over the next five years? What would you like to see Microsoft do or become or focus on, defocus on? Um, oh, look, the, the, the simplest one is to be relevant, continue being relevant. Um, specifically, in my neck of the woods, the developer platform is just continue to make you know have the tools that developers want to build with and use that platform. I think that's the that's the really key one. The, you know, the, the, the final one, I guess, as a consumer is I'd, I'd just like Microsoft to get the Consumer Act together. It's, it's, it was Microsoft's strength 
but in the last few years, it's sort of gone all over the place, you know. And, I, and I'm talking about consumer from, you know, stuff in the living room, you know, the Windows Media Center stuff and the digital, you know, music players and the portable media centers and all that kind of stuff that should get consumers excited about, but it's kind of have them scratching their heads and having them confused. Mm. You know, so I, you know, I'd love them to get the consumer story right and, and deliver on a lot of the promise that, 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 that there is there. It's interesting. As a consumer. It's interesting when you say that because um, we just got off uh, doing an interview with Mark Orchant from mm. the Office Web Blog, and one of the things seen. we were talking about was was Microsoft Office versus the Open Office, Star Office kind of things, and where they're at. And we were all concurring that you know we think that the Open Office, the the open source versions or Office productivity tools, are getting to a stage where they're good enough for most people to use at home. You know, if they just doing a spreadsheet or writing a document and that kind of stuff. And whilst, you know, there's probably the corporate market that will still buy them for quite some time for compatibility reasons, that at home a lot of people are going to start to use one of these freer technologies. I certainly know myself, you know, fortunate in the last six years to not have to buy Office for home, but when it comes time to upgrade, I don't know if I'm going to fork out five, six hundred bucks for a copy of Office Pro, uh... I think I'll be looking at something, and and of course Microsoft's background was winning that the consumers' heart and minds, and in the way Office ended up being used in corporates in the first place, I think was to a large extent people who were using Microsoft tools at home and asking their MIS manager why they didn't have them in the office, right? Yeah, I, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Look, that, I remember with the Office 12 product, there was a talk of an Office Lite, and. You know, they were looking at doing a really low-cost, bare-bones, componentized, you know, suite for the home. But that got canned for whatever reason. You know, there was also another project that was the NetDocs project that was about delivering Office services through the web, you know, and actually all of the Office components delivered in a browser, you know. And, you don't know, and model. as it was document yeah. managed, yeah, yeah, that kind of stuff. It was actually trialled here, I remember. Well, that what was trialled was Office, full blown Office. Okay, and it's actually available. You can do that. People can buy that today. Mm. And um, you know those, you know those crazy Canberra guys, the Transact guys. Yeah, you know, yeah. They broke the broadband over electricity. Broadband. Yeah. yeah, they actually were doing that. They they um got a Spalar license of Office, and they were charging you know, ten bucks a month or whatever, and and doing that. But it was full blown Office being delivered. You know, on de- effectively on demand. I mean, it goes back to what we were talking about with Mark is that, and what Cameron's saying is that most people use less than 5% of the functionality of the office suite. Mm. They just don't use it. Um, mm. It's a shame they don't. Or it's a shame that Microsoft haven't got better ways of actually trying to educate people about how to use this stuff because once you work out what some of the finer details are, if you, do, I mean, if you need them, they're absolutely amazing. Mm. Oh, yeah, absolutely, they are. Mm. Absolutely. Okay, so that's your one big uh, wish for Microsoft is to be relevant, particularly in the consumer space. And, you know, I know Scoble's been talking a lot lately about, you know, why they should make a, an iPod-type play. Have you got a media centre at home? Uh, no. But that seems Not to yet. be something cool. Yeah, no, the media centre, yeah, that's something I'll invest in this year. It's um, very cool. I'm waiting, I'm waiting for a rack-mounted unit, not, not one that looks like a PC, but something that can just sit in my, you know, my stack of electronic things next to the TV. So, yeah, so and that's what I, that's the plan. 
we were talking with uh, Mark about the tablet PC as well, and he was opining about the the lack. He believes the the, the lack of marketing that Microsoft has done around the tablet platform to drive it over the last year or so. And you were saying to me just while you're in the green room of the G'day World show, the pre-show conversation, you were saying you think this is a big year for tablet? Yeah, I reckon 05 is going to be a big year for tablet. You know, I, there's, there's some great apps starting to come out. There's also some interesting, you know, designs and some, you know, some form factors that I think are going to start driving adoption. You know, I, I've been a tablet user since September. I got my, my little Toshi M200. I You're love another it. You're another M200 user. Fantastic. That's right. I am indeed, and uh, I swear by it. I couldn't imagine anything else. And I tell you, when I give my kids a tablet, they, they, they sit down with it. It's a natural, for them, it's so natural. To do it, you know, if I were to look forward five, ten, five years, ten years, you know, I can see these in classrooms as, you know, the standard book that kids are using. It's, it's just, it's just a natural way of, you know, mm. playing with the, the technology. But, you know, I think that one of the things that's, that's held the tablet back has been cost. You know, mm. it's more, more expensive than a regular notebook. So we need cost to come down. Mm. But the marketing stuff you talked about, you know, that, that, that's the problem we as, we as a company have in that we don't make the hardware. So it's really hard to do air cover marketing. You know, it's, it's the Toshi tablet. It's not the Microsoft tablet. You know, we have the same problem with the pocket PCs. You know, all the pocket PC guys say, you've got to do some air cover for us so we can compete against the Palm or, you know, comp- you know get mind share. And I think that's we as a company have to do that, do a better job at it. You know, if I talk to the local product manager, goes, "Oh, we don't get any revenue, so we shouldn't do any marketing." Well, when he says that, I want to shove a tablet up his beep, you know, because that's just the wrong attitude. You know, we need to do that air cover. We need to get people excited. You know, one of the things that my team has been doing is we've been actively working with software developers, ISVs around applications for tablet, you know, so you know, an example is this mob in Parramatta, believe it or not, they have computers down there, and they build... Because <laughs> they they're, they're all chained to the wall. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're called companion systems, I love them dearly, because they built these apps for uh, project managers in the field, you know, who are building constructions and all that kind of stuff, and, you know, the, the, they, they kit out the tablet with one of those iBurst wireless cards or some of the other ones, and... You know, they've got a total, and they're, they're little rugged tablets. They've, you know, they've got the little plastic things that they drop them, it doesn't break. And, you know, they're building applications for, for industry, and it's, it's awesome to see stuff like that, you know. And so, you know, my team's all about working with software developers around building solutions. So that's, that's a kind of, that's a small part that, you know, we can try and play in there and try and build some of these applications, you know. But, you know, I'd love to see some air cover marketing as well, you know, but... You know, have you seen any Microsoft Media Center advertising as well? I haven't seen any. No. You know, it's like... Uh, haven't God, they got a bus traveling around America? Yeah, in America, yeah. the bus wouldn't get, couldn't make it here, though, could it? <laughs> Unless it's an aquatic bus or an aqua bus. They can rent out anyway. my Media Center and my Land Rover. I'll drive around. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you just do that anyway, out of the goodness of your heart? It's not like you've got anything better to do Look, right I've now. I've probably got them, like the, like the M200, I've probably got a couple of sales for the media centre for Microsoft out of my... Yeah, look, I'm sure, ram- I'm sure you have. I'm sure you have, but, you know, but those sales have gone to the, the hardware guys that yeah. sell the boxes, you know. Some of the money flows down to Microsoft down the road, but, you know, that, that's the problem. It's relying on having the OEM network to sort of, uh, you know, get behind it. So it's talking about blogging at Microsoft in Australia, Frank. There's obviously mm. yourself and most of the people in your team, I think, blog, and uh, 
I know that there's some people in the HR department have got a blog now, which is kind of mm. interesting. They started yeah, up not that, that long ago. Yeah, the, yeah, the, the HR guys, um, I, I helped them get online. They, they sort of came to me and said, what's this blogging thing all about? It, and uh, kind of helped educate them. And, you know, it helped them understand that it's not a bad thing, it's a good thing. And uh, they eventually started to, they set up a group blog. So the, 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 the two recruiters and their manager were all blogging, which is great to see. And Julie Brown, who was the, the, the lady behind it, just went off and got married. And, you know, she's, she's putting it all up there, which is fantastic. In terms of other folks blogging, you, you're right. Pretty much everyone in my team has done it. And I think it's out of pressure. I've not asked them to blog, <laughs> but uh, they're kind of going, fuck, Frank's doing it. We better do it, you know. <laughs> Except for one guy who's my guy down in Melbourne called Dave Glover. He's yet to start up. He started up. He started a personal blog, but he's yet to get go online. And I and I and I truly respect him for that. He's a so pom. That's he, what the problem is. He's a pom. He's a hairless pom. A hairless pom. <laughs> Nothing worse hairless, than a hairless pom. <laughs> he's a hairless pom, and and it's a beautiful thing. Um, <laughs> uh, in terms of other folks, shout out to Dave. We love you, Dave. <laughs> we love you, Dave. We love you, Dave. Um, there's there's a few other blokes. There's a couple of guys in support. There's a guy called Tristan Kingston who's blogging. Tristan's our ISA support engineer, the ISA god, actually, and uh, he's, he's a pretty wacky guy. Nigel um, hasn't. Nigel Watson hasn't updated his blog since the 24th of June, man. Yeah, well, he doesn't work for me, so, you know, obviously... Doesn't he? The manager doesn't, no, Nigel doesn't report to me. He reports to a guy called Bill Caragunas. Did he move out of your team? Yeah. Oh, see, yeah. that's what's happened. Moved Ran out of your team that, and he stopped blogging. Around about that time, in fact. Around <laughs> about that time. But, there you um, go. But some of the interns is a young guy in Melbourne called Matty Cozy. G'day, Matty. Matt. <laughs> Little Matty. Matty was at our Geek Dinner last week yeah. uh, down here. It was great with all the Redify bloggers. I love little Maddie. Let, let me tell you a story about Maddie. He's going to blush when he hears this because he's an he's a avid listener. So I, I, I don't know how, but somehow he IM'd me. I don't know how he found my IM, but he must have found it somewhere, either from a blog or something. And we're chatting away. This is before he joined Microsoft? Before he joined Microsoft. So we're chatting away. I'm talking to this person, hoping it's a sexy young lady at the other end, but finds that's a young man. And so he's a very sexy young man, though. He, he is, if you're into that kind of thing. And <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with that. Sorry. Not no. at all. Not at all. We're chatting away. and. Shut and, your ears, uh, Maddie. He, he's, he wants to get online. He wants to start blogging. So I help him to get blogging on uh, weblogs.asp.net. And I, give, I share with him the secret URL. And he gets online and it's autocrat. So weblogs.com. Uh, what is it? Weblogs.asp.net slash autocrat is his URL. And so he started blogging. And so he became a little friend. And so every time I went online, he'd ping me and we'd chat. And I found out that there was an intern job down in Melbourne. Well, first I found out it was a student at Swinburne, which was really good. So I got him to talk to Nigel because, you know, we do evangelism to students. It's always good to find keen kids, you know, keen students and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> so we, we have that little chat going. Then we find out, I find it's an intern job. So I email him that. He, he goes and he chats to Nigel, has an interview. He gets a job as an intern. It's fantastic. And, uh, and he's been there ever since, you know, for the last nine months, I guess. And he's been doing stuff with InfoPath and getting on to his XDA, and it's been fantastic seeing the young fella. He's just, just finished up his uni course. He did pretty that. well at that, too, from what I hear. He did. He did. Yeah, so it's all good. So he's, he's doing really well. It's fantastic. Hopefully he'll... Uh, so you guys going to offer him a full... Go on. He, offer him a full-time job live on the air. Go on. No, he's coming to work for me. <laughs> I can't. I, ca I can't offer him a full-time <laughs> job on the air, unfortunately. I gave him a lift home from the uh, geek dinner the other night and said, what do you want to do when you finish at Microsoft? And he said, oh, you know, InfoPath, BizTalk stuff. And I said... <laughs> You the man. 
He knew he knew exactly what to say to me, of course. Yeah, no, he's he's a great great kid. Yeah, Matt is and, uh, I remember his yeah. first uh, day at Microsoft. Uh, he was sort of hanging around the desk, and we were going for some uh, Halo practice, as we had to do from time to time. It's, it's you know, in the company laws now, isn't it? Rules of the company, you have to go and practice Halo at least once or twice a week, Frank. Oh, it's, it's in your goals and objectives. That's right. <laughs> so we went, we went down and we invited this you know, young, fresh, green kid. Oh, come down. Have you played much Halo? Oh, no, not really. So we came down. He kicked <laughs> our asses. <laughs> he whooped so your we, collective butts. <clears throat> we nick, nicknamed him Killer from that moment <laughs> on. He's always been Killer cozier to me ever since. Uh, he's fantastic, though. He's been good. It's good. You know, the, the high caliber of uh, good, good talent out there. You know, and it, it's fantastic. Look, Happy so to see one, that develop. So one of the big things you're involved with as well is the uh, MSDN connection. Yeah. How's that going? Yeah, you want me to, all right, MSDN connection. Well, one of the things, what well, MSDN connection started off as a recognition program for developers. So. It goes. We go back a couple of years, and we had we had the situation where we do events, and people would come along, and we'd say hi and all that kind of stuff. But we didn't really have a good sense of, you know, who was coming along to our different events. How could reward these? You know, we had situations where I wanted to give an award to someone who's come to every ticket, and we couldn't work that out. So we said we need a frequent flyers equivalent for for our developers, and so out of that came this controversy and connection. Um, we worked with all the user groups around the country, and we said, would you like a way of the members and cards and track membership and all that stuff? And they said, fantastic. And so we kind of came up with the thing. We launched it nearly, unfortunately, nearly a year ago, March last year. We, we kicked it off. And it started off with, you know, little little RFID cards that we sent out to our members and a whole bunch of tchotchkes and goodies. The idea is, you know, people rock up to Microsoft events, they scan the cards and... And they basically, you know, get acknowledgement for participating. They rock up to their user group events, scan the cards. So we, we kind of went pretty well. Um, I, I'd say we our, our numbers. I really can't talk about numbers in terms of what we what we wanted to see, but we're, we're sort of on track on the number of folks that we wanted to sign up. The, the questionable things I have is. You know, are we giving back enough value to the folks who volunteered their information to us? So we've, we've looked at that. You know, one of the things we made available was free web hosting, ASP.NET hosting, mm-hmm. where they get 20 megs of space and a certain amount of bandwidth and all that kind of stuff where they can throw up sites and experiment and learn with, with ASP. That people get discounts on training, discounts on books, you know, the odd tchotchka, you know, free software, that kind of stuff. So... People have been kind of happy with it, but you know, p- personally, I haven't been happy with execution. I think we could do, be doing a lot better with it. So, um, you know, but it's a, a really key thing that we're doing. It's not a loyalty program per se. It's more of a recognition and a rewards program. It's, you know, I guess it's, you know, it's, it's semantics, but it's it's really meant to, you know, make people feel like they belong to something and, uh, you know, be good. So, yeah, you know, I think we can do better on, on the execution. What's what's interesting in that. This started off as this wacky idea in Australia. It got co-opted by our uh, friends in the Asia-Pacific region and it's became an Asia-Pacific thing. And now it's probably going to become a global initiative, which is kind of cool. We'll, hopefully it'll, uh, it'll have legs and it'll have value and people will love what, what they get out of it. Hmm. Well, I mean, it was pretty good at TechEd this year down at Canberra having a little MSDN connection area roped off was quite a good way to sort of meet other people in the MSDN team and stuff oh, like yeah, that. That was quite cool. Yeah, that, 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 
Yeah, that was meant to be the you know one of the one of the benefits. So you know we're going to do an event in September, the security summit, and we're going to have a an MSDN connection area separate where people go swipe their cards and they'll have something to drink and you know people to talk to. And you know we want to give some value. So you know the VI, it's like the VIP pass you used to have to the Chevron or whatever. You know, <laughs> remember the Chevron days? <laughs> the Chevron. Cam? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I actually thought the roping off thing was to keep the geeks away from the rest of us. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, that, that was just me. Maybe that's just you. Are you doing a blogging and a podcasting session at Tech Ed this year? Uh, I don't think so. I've just gone up to Charles Sterling's site and suggested that I uh, should do it and uh, have Mick and I come on and well, talk about, so- you know... G'day world and uh, someone someone suggested you do the keynote. So, someone recommended we do the keynote, Cam. Yeah, that was my that was that was my mum. <laughs> Which I think would be really funny, but uh, look, I don't know. Look, I would I would love to have a little podcast booth. We at, could set ourselves up, Cam, in a little tr- in a little caravan. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Look, I'll, I'll sponsor a little glass yeah, window on the front. When when is Tech Ed? It's like August. Yeah, uh, no, it's September. September in on, at the Gold Coast. September, I'll probably be living in a caravan the way things are going. <laughs> so, uh. no, but I would love it. It's it's like you know, like they do the the, the ABC at the at the royal at the show royal show the exactly. Uh, you know, that, that's the that's the image that I can, I'm, I want to. I reckon. See. I reckon, Frank, we'll leave it in your capable hands. Cam and I will be there. <laughs> it should be fun, hey? We'll be able to get a whole heap of really cool interviews done. All right, Frankie, I think that brings us to about the end of the show, mate. Any last words of wisdom from a 13-year Microsoft veteran and blogger veteran? Any words of wisdom? Oh, look, I, got no, I don't have any words of wisdom. I guess, you know, I'll, I'll just tell you from, from my perspective, um, if stuff's changing at a, so quickly on the web, you know, I remember when I was in hospital in October, first time, before I went in, there was no concept of podcasting. When I came out, <laughs> podcasting was all the rage, right? And now, look at us now. I'm on a podcast in, in January, right? So it just, I think the trick is to just, you know, watch what's happening. You guys described, you're on the elbow of the of technology <laughs> forefront, right? <laughs> is that, was that the, the body That's right. part? With a little bit of wrinkled skin on the elbow. Yeah, as Some... opposed to the colorectal bit. <laughs> you know, your, your devices stay on the elbow, you know. Don't go any further than that. <laughs> but, and uh, uh, what, what's your favorite piece of uh, Australian slang? Ah, oh, favourite piece of Australian slang. I love G'day Tiger. I just G'day Tiger. G'day Tiger. I love the G'day Tiger. I don't know why. I just love it. And, and American Rosso, they have they did a radio here in Sydney. They just America uses that all the time. It's, I, it just cracks me up. It's a beauty. What about? I'm just flicking through my book here. What about calling someone a bugger or bugger. a bastard? Oh, I, I love calling people bastards. Yeah, bastard. It's such a term of endearment. You old bastard. The other one is you old C that rhymes with hunt, which is also a... You can say cunt on this show, Frank. I can. You, I, you I, know, I, the, FCC, the FCC aren't listening to this. Don't worry about it. Yeah, I don't want to upset that guy. That ups, that we oh, no, Dave's our biggest fan now. Dave likes us now. Dave's the biggest fan now. He's gotten over the fact like, that Cameron's vulgar and he's dealing with it. <laughs> but, but I love bugger and bastard and your cunt. I just think that... They're just terms of endearment. They know. are. They just work for me. 
There they you just go. work. They work. They're beautiful. I love them. I, I'm looking forward to the Cam and Mick slang dictionary. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, that'll be about the height of our success is when we come out with our own slang dictionary. I can just see the cheesy photo on the front cover. <laughs> no, but it, that, that's what old ABC radio journalists do. They do dag dictionaries and other dictionaries, so it's a natural progression, I reckon. Yeah. 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 Thank you, Frankie. Thank you, gentlemen. It's Thank been a pleasure. You, Mr. Frank, we'll have, to... we'll have to have you back on again at some point because I'm sure we could fill up another hour. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm halfway through my career. <laughs> oh, by the way, um, you're coming to the uh, 2005 Australian Blogging Conference, Frank? Am I? You're a keynote speaker, I believe. You're one of the Am keynote I? speakers. I, I, I don't even know when it's yeah. on. I don't even know where it's at. Yeah, okay. It's so sometime you... in February. So you haven't organised to sponsor it yet? In Melbourne. <laughs> I know none of I know none of this information. Uh, I go to the site. The site is blank. Uh, ooh, what do you mean blank. the site is blank? Well, it's pretty. You know, it's pretty content free. It's yeah, lean. It's what do you mean lean? It's lean. It's <laughs> like my tummy. Go and read the damn thing. Good talking no. to you, Frank. <laughs> I'll go there. No, 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 don't, don't, don't be so pissy. Don't be so upset. He's, like, he's a big bloody old woman, I tell oh. you. He... I'll, I'll go there now. I'll go there now. All right, I'll check it out. I'll, I'll read it after the show. Uh, but I, 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 if I can make it, I will be there. I'll be delighted to, as long as there's no clash with anything else. Fantastic. You take care of yourself, buddy. Keep that health in tip top shape. We want to bring you back. We'll get you back on in 13 years, and you can talk about your next 13 years of Microsoft. Microsoft. (laughs) Yep. All right. Sounds like fun. Cheers, buddy. Thanks, Frankie. Ciao. And we're out. And we're done.